Hello, everybody. Welcome to Framework Leadership, a podcast about principles and ideas you can use today to take your leadership to the next level. We're now exclusively a part of the SEU Podcast Network. I'm Kent Ingle, president of Southeastern University, your host. And I'm your co-host, Michael Steiner, SEU Chief of Staff. And uh, it is a privilege today to introduce our guest for our today's show, Kathleen Porter McGee. Kathleen is superintendent of Partnership Schools, a nonprofit that manages seven New York City Catholic schools in Harlem and the South Bronx. Before joining Partnership, she was a classroom teacher, served in leadership positions at the College Board, Achievement First, and several other institutions. Kathleen, it's an honor to welcome you to the show today. Thanks so much. It's an honor to be here. Thanks for having me. I am uh, looking forward to uh, to our conversation. I want us to talk about uh, educational leadership and, and empowerment. And uh, during your career, I mean, you've worked with oh numerous schools and have helped evaluate their effectiveness. What do you think the biggest challenge in the school system is right now? The biggest challenge in the school system right now, I mean, I guess I would say it's the academic achievement gap, right? So mm-hmm. the, the gap between um, the achievement levels of uh, low socioeconomic students, uh, racial minorities, and their more privileged, um, you know, white peers. Uh, it's something that has been, I think, vexing for us as a country for generations now, and it's something I really feel like we need to tackle. Yeah, and you know, when you talk about, when we talk about achievement, I think it's great to kind of set context you know, across the board. Achievement obviously means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. So when we're talking about achievement at an institutional level for schools kind of across the board, what exactly do we mean by that? What does that look like? couple of different things. I think the the most obvious and the the sort of data and statistics that get cited most often are um, academic achievement results, so test score results. But I think you can also look at academic outcomes, whether it's college um, access and college Mm. completion, as well as long-term life outcomes. And I think, unfortunately, when you look at um, the, the public school system in America, the outcomes on any of those indicators are really inequitable. I mean, Mm. you have a group folks, and whether it's uh, high income or, or white students who tend to do better on average than low income and minority students across all of those indicators. And what do we think is the main, I mean, obviously there's socioeconomic issues, but what's, what's driving this and what are you doing specifically with partnership schools to address it? I think it's a really cool story what you guys are doing out there. Sure. So Partnership Schools, we are a private school management organization, uh, which basically means we're kind of a charter-like organization, but for urban Catholic schools specifically. Mm. So we're a little unique in that respect. So we run only urban Catholic schools, which means we run Catholic schools now in both New York City and also in Cleveland, Ohio, that serve exclusively um, under-resourced communities. So communities that otherwise, without... um, you know, without urban Catholic schools that were thriving would, would you know, struggle to give mm. choice and options to parents. Um, and what we do is we have an agreement, it's a very unique agreement with each of the dioceses in which we work, where the um, Archdiocese of New York and the Diocese of Cleveland has basically turned over full management and operation of their schools to us. Mm. Um, in exchange, we take on full financial responsibility for those schools. Um, and I think that's really important for a number of reasons. 
reasons. I think one, I, I've worked in both um, public charter schools, but also in urban Catholic schools across my career. And I think that urban Catholic schools play a really unique and important role in the in the landscape of American education. I think they are really community-driven schools. I think they really effectively serve the whole child. And I think that for the past, you know, several decades, they've really struggled in communities where parents couldn't afford tuition. And so we come in as a private school management organization to put our schools back on a path to, to long-term financial sustainability and also to ensure academic excellence and, and to ensure the schools can serve the communities well. Let me ask you this. Why, um, why do you think faith-based education is so important for communities? It's so interesting. I think there are so many reasons. I think it's important uh, to many parents on an individual level. I think that there are so many parents who who really seek out faith-based schools for, for a couple of reasons. Some of them are motivated by their faith themselves, but some of them are also seeking schools that are really going to educate the whole child to mm. form students, not just in knowledge, but also in virtue and character. And I think that faith-based schools in general play a really important role in, in showing what's possible when you weave together that values and character focus with academic excellence. Um, I think the other reason faith-based schools are really important, and, and urban Catholic schools in particular, is they are really uh, community institutions. Yeah. So I think one of the most interesting um, research kind of books that I've read on this in, in recent history was a book called Lost Classrooms, Lost Community, which was written by two Notre Dame law professors. And what they did was they looked at what happened, not just to students, but to communities in Chicago when urban Catholic schools were closed. And what they found was that Catholic schools, they played not just an important role in the academic development of the students, but they actually bound together yeah. the community in really interesting ways. And when they were lost, they found increases in crime and yep. disorder in the community that goes well beyond, you know, the, the, the institution of the school. So I think faith-based schools, they play a role in educating kids, but, but they also play a role in, in strengthening and solidifying communities. You know, what's so interesting about that, it, Southeastern being a faith-based private uh, uh, higher education institute on this side, is we, we recognize that the things that make community are the boundaries and the standards. And so everybody's like, you know, you want to have community, but but you know, why do you have to have it this specific way? Why do you have to have these characteristics? Well, you don't understand. If you don't have the characteristics, if you don't have that standard, if you don't have these perspectives, you don't get the community. And when mm -hmm. people strip that part out of it, you end up with the systems that are, you know, agnostic, non-faith-based, and it's very much one-dimensional for right. the students, for the families involved. And it's 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 something that people don't understand, you know, why why can't, you know, but, you know, there's so many different issues out there. It's like, why can't they just adapt? Why can't they just change and be different? It's like, no, no, the, without those things, you don't have faith-based. We're not, we are, are not who we are, and you don't have all the successes, all the benefits on this side of it. What are some of the characteristics you see with, um, especially K through 12, this kind of you know, lower end, what are the characteristics of faith-based schools um, that make them so successful in your opinion? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I do think that it is a really important part of building community. I think one of the things that faith-based schools do really well is that they, they do have a clearly defined mission, vision, and purpose. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that's interesting, over the past three years, we've been working on a 
on a project that's trying to to help us strengthen the way we kind of assess and evaluate the schools we serve. Uh, so we dove into the research on whole child education and on character education. And what we found was that um, if you if you are trying to build schools that form the whole child, we talk about that almost as a euphemism. But if you want to build schools that serve the whole child, the way you do it is by developing schools that have a clearly defined mission, vision, right. and purpose. Mm -hmm where that mission is seen in everything. It's seen in the facilities, like it's evident in the buildings, and it's lived out every day by the adults in the building. And what we found and what the research says is that if you don't have that foundation, the mission that is lived out every day by the adults in the institution, you will not have the impact on students' lives. Right. So to your point, that definition, that sort of the boundaries and like, you know, what do we say we believe is, is actually essential for community building, but also student formation. Yeah, so good. You know, we've come out of a difficult year with uh, with C-19. The pandemic obviously took a major hit on on school systems across the country and, and affected the way students were taught. It, it not only affected public schools, but it did private and, and, and faith-based institutions as well. Tell us about the problems uh, that arose and, and how educator, uh, educators and administrators uh, are addressing them uh, at the present. So, so many challenges. I think we will all be glad to be on the other side yes. completely <laughs> the pandemic. Yep. Um, uh, I, I think there it's hard to encapsulate all of the challenges, as I'm sure you experienced right. too, at the university level, of, of what the pandemic did to schools and communities. I think for us, particularly serving under-resourced and underserved communities, um, the biggest thing we faced in the spring of 2020 was access. Mm -hmm. When the entire kind of country shut down, we had to immediately figure out how to reach students who did not necessarily have the technology or the internet yeah. access. So we had to figure out ways to build connections and build communities mm -hmm. when we lost that in-person connection. Um, I think since then, there's been a number of challenges. I mean, one, we serve communities of, you know, first responders and essential right. workers. And so finding ways to, to reopen, um, even when it was, you know, really scary to do so was, sure. was a huge challenge. Um, and then figuring out, I mean, there's like the academic and then the, the social emotional side of the impact on, on kids and communities. On the academic side, it's figuring out how to make sure that, that our students are continuing to progress in knowledge. And on the social emotional side, just to make sure that we continue to build those connections and, and ensure that we were, we were meeting their, their social and emotional needs. And we feel proud of the work we did this year, but we know it's it's only beginning. This is going to be something that we're going to have to be really intentional about for years to come. You know, as a leader, of, uh, as a superintendent, um, this was a major leadership challenge. We hear that a lot. What were some of the things that you personally did to tackle um, these changes, help your systems, help your schools adapt? And um, what were some of the kind of principles you've taken away as you've had ta uh, time to reflect on it? Well, I never knew when I went into education that I was going to have to be an amateur epidemiologist at any point. <laughs> <laughs> yes. so None of us. Yeah. The biggest thing that I, education leaders in general, and certainly um, me in particular, had to realize it was a very humbling moment for school leaders is we cannot, we always knew and we always said we can't do it alone, 
when it came to COVID, we for sure could not do it alone. So you really had to make sure that you were reaching out to not just health and safety experts, but also other leaders across the field to inform decision-making because there was no playbook for this. I think the second thing is you had to spend time really building trust within your community. Um, And this is where I do think being a faith-based institution set us up well for success because we were really community-based and community-driven. We had a foundation of fairly strong trust. It was tested this year for sure. And so we had to be, I think, very, very intentional about making sure that we were um, very transparent about Mm -hmm. the decisions making, not just the what, but the why. Yeah. We had to make sure we were communicating because that's the best way and, that, yeah. and really the only way to, to build that trust and to maintain that trust. And then I think we had to be ready to, if we made a mistake, we had to be ready to, to really own it and, and nimbly adapt on a dime. Yeah. Was there, was there anything you wish you could go back and change about how you handled the pandemic as a leader? Oh, goodness. That is the million dollar question. Yeah, I'm sure if I could go back and, you know, really think through everything, I'm sure there's a, a lot of mistakes that we made and a lot that, that we would change with the, the hindsight, the 2020 right. hindsight we have now. Um, I think in general, though, I, I just I feel really proud of our communities. Sure. I mean, Absolutely. the courage that our principals showed and our teachers showed when I think back to August 2020. Right. We made the commitment. We, were, we said we're going to reopen um, five days a week for in-person instruction. And our teachers and our leaders were rightly just fearful. And when I think back on, on the courage that that they showed this year, it's just, it's deeply, deeply moving and deeply humbling. That's so, so how did you you know, inspiring courage is such a big part of leadership. We talk that we talk about that a lot here. You know, and it, it stems from who you are as a person. In the midst of this pandemic, how how did you or how did you see your principles? Maybe there's a good story in there of how they inspired courage among the people that they were leading in the face of this. I think there's two things the principals did, and I give all credit to the principals and teachers. They were really the front lines, and they they did yeoman's work to make sure that our schools were serving our our kids and communities. And I think there are two things that our principals did. Um, One thing was they, when we made a decision, so we solicited a lot of input, but then we made decisions, and they were very decisive about it. And I think that was actually really important. In a moment of so much uncertainty, I do think there's a point where you have to draw a line in the sand and say like hey we're gonna do, we're gonna take this Absolutely. leap of faith we're right. gonna do this and then i think the second thing um that they did is they kind of put their money where their mouth was like they did everything that they asked their team to do yeah. and that was really important as well yeah you know technology and and curriculum are constantly changing in our nation do you do you feel the current way we are educating children is really fully preparing them for the future why why are not or why not oh that's a good question when it comes to technology i will say i'm uh um I'm a professed Luddite um, and a a proud one, I think. Um, Obviously, this year tested the limits of that. You couldn't be a Luddite in COVID. You had to embrace 
technology on some way, shape, or form to to bring curriculum and to bring teaching and learning to kids, particularly in in the spring of 2020 when we were forced to shut down. Um, but when I think about the best way to prepare our students for the future, I actually personally don't necessarily look to technology as the savior. I really look to um, to some things that kind of have built and sustain us as you know as as humans for for a long time and that is a return to you know to to books to really reading and writing to personal connections right. i think that if COVID has made anything clear it's that there is just no substitute for like you know putting the human person right. at the center of everything that we do and so when i think about preparing kids for the future i think about Bringing, bringing them back, putting the human person back at the center of everything we do, and and really returning to to some of the the foundational pieces that have, has made education strong for for generations. And you know, when you think about it, what's something a discussion we've been having a lot is um, for the for a long time. When you think about education, it was a a marriage between content and connection. So those happen simultaneously at the same time. But in the digital era, with the with the ubiquitous of content, it's across the board it's free, anybody can get it across everywhere, we're seeing a little bit of a divorce where I don't necessarily need the person to get the content, but I still need the personal connection. And when you think about the best teachers in your life and in our lives, it was always those people that made those kind of personal connections. How can leaders, how can different people and educators um, make kind of personal connections with the people in their lives? What are some principles they can apply to, to make that happen? I think one thing is finding the time, right? Like really prioritizing the in-person, mm. whatever whatever looks like for that particular community. I think as faith-based communities, it, it means prioritizing coming together in person for prayer and reflection. Mm. I think that that's a really important way that you can make connections. Um, and I think, so I think one is making time and, and space for that. And I think I think the other is just naming it, right? Like we, we need to say, this is something we believe. We believe believe that personal relationships and personal connections are essential to our work. And when you when you name that as something that's really important to you as a leader and to you as a community, I think people then, you can provide space, but they also look for time and space as well. Yeah, how, uh, and, and let me ask you this as, as a follow-up to that. How can school leaders inspire excellence with their students? Uh, it, how, how, how can they expire, inspire that great relational touch with them? So we are so fortunate. We have some of the best teachers ever. And when I think about real models of that, when I think about the teachers in our network who just exemplify excellence, um, a, a number of teachers uh, are, are, I call to mind. So one, there's the teacher, Zareta Hernandez, who actually just retired this year after, I think it was 47 years wow. teaching. Wow. She thought all right, um, and she was a model of bringing out excellence in her students. And I think she did it a couple of ways. One, she got to know every single one of her students, like yeah. made the made the time, knew right. them all obviously by name, but also knew their families and and knew things about them as people, not just as students. Um, but then I think the second thing is 
I think there's three things maybe. So one is getting to know the people. Two is just having that fire and that passion for the content. So she taught, Zareda taught history and she also taught literature. I was never, I, I had the privilege of observing her over the course of, you know, seven years. I never once went into one of her lessons. And when I left it, I immediately wanted to know what she was reading. I wanted to read it myself. <laughs> I was all and to be able to communicate that passion for yep. the content, right. I think is essential. Yeah. But then I think the third thing, which she also excelled at, was you have to believe that excellence is possible from your students. And every kid that walked into her classroom, she knew that they could do great things. She knew that they were made for greatness and she drew it out of them. And it was just, it was really, it was inspiring. Oh, that's great. What, uh, let me ask you a final question before we move into our fire round and close our, our conversation out. What do you feel is, is an adequate measure of student success right now within the classroom? Uh, that's a good question. That's a million dollar question, right? Um, I think that there is no single measure that is the, you know, the perfect, that you, I don't think you can sum up a student's classroom experience or their life experience in a single metric. Sure. And so I, I think it's a combination of different things. I think one, obviously I do think we should look at academic achievement and academic growth. So I do think that's important. Um, but I think beyond that, I think you need to look at, um, you know, who they are as a person. Are you seeing the student live out the values that you believe as a community and what does that look like and then I think also and this isn't necessarily measured while they're sitting in your classroom but what do they you know what does the, the students that you serve as a community what do they go on to do one of the reasons that I love working in, in faith-based schools is that um, not just do we you know build uh, knowledge and, and impart skills with the students we serve but graduates of faith-based schools are more likely to give back to their community yes. they're more likely right. to volunteer they're more likely to vote when and those long-term life outcomes when we think about you know living the good life um, living a life in community and and serving others um, those are the things that I think we most care about so I think those are the long-term things that we should be really looking at yeah and, and it is it is a privilege to be able to integrate faith learning and service um, in a pretty profound way well we're going to move into our fire round as we close our conversation just want to ask you a few quick questions that uh, maybe kind of covers a little bit of everything that we discussed and uh, always ask you kind of just to give your quick gut answer to, to these questions. Um, so I'm going to ask Michael, you can fire away the first one. All right. All right. So uh, in your opinion, what are the key or maybe keys to building a positive culture within an organization? I think it's a combination of humility as a leader, right? So you need to know that you can't do everything on your own. Um, it's like the right mix of humility and hubris. You yes. need to know that excellence is possible. You need to have a vision of something great, but you need to have the humility that you need to be building a team who's going who's gonna to achieve that you know, with and for you. Second question, if you had to choose one necessary characteristic for educators, what would that be? Oh, uh... A love of kids. I mean, yes, that's yeah. good. That's huge. It's huge. And finally, what advice would you give to new teachers? And we ha we graduate a lot of teachers here at Southeastern University. It's kind of one of our biggest programs. One of the ones we're most proud of. A lot of successful uh, uh, teachers uh, coming out of our our College of Education. What advice do you give to new teachers during their first year to really be successful as they start out in their careers? 
So I think the first piece of advice I would give them is seek out those veterans in your building. Seek out the Zurita Hernandez's of mm-hmm. your building yes. and understand why they've stayed with it, what they love about it, and what actually makes uh, what actually makes them so effective in the classroom. I think there's a lot. I think there's a lot we can learn, and there's a lot we can learn, particularly about community connection and community building from our veterans. That's great. Well, Kathleen, thank you for making time today and joining us uh, on our podcast. I'm grateful for your insight that you've definitely provided our leaders today. Thank you so much for having me. Cool. And if you guys want to stay up to date with Kathleen, you can follow her on Twitter at McGee and on LinkedIn at the same handle. And then for more leadership content, you can check us out on Instagram, Kent underscore Ingle, or Twitter at KentIngle.com. And hey, if you're watching us on YouTube right now, make sure you hit that like button, that subscribe button so that you can stay up to date with Framework Leadership. And if you'd like to get more content directly to your email every single week, go to KentIngle.com, subscribe to our newsletter. Thank you so much for listening to Framework Leadership. Thank you.